Good evening. Come on in. Grab your seats. Hey, who sent some kids to school this week or started school at home this week? Praise the Lord. God bless you. All you teachers, God bless you. Administrators, God bless you. Uh, hey, tonight we're starting a new series, and we're going through the book of Nehemiah. So it's in the Old Testament if you're new to the book. If you don't have your Bible, it'll be on the screen. But it's going to be a great seven weeks or so going through the book of Nehemiah. So I want to invite you to read the story from front to back. It's a beautiful letter. It's a beautiful sort of memoir from this guy, Nehemiah, and it's worth getting it in your spirit. So let's, let's sink into this text together over the next six or seven weeks and say, Lord, come speak to us. So what I'm going to do is read to you Nehemiah chapter 1. It's 11 verses. So I'll read that, and then I'll pray, and we'll jump in. So hear the word of the Lord out of Nehemiah chapter 1, and it says, The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of the king, while I was in the citadel of Susa, everyone flag that, citadel of Susa, flag that in your mind, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah, with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and I questioned them about Jerusalem. So Nehemiah is in a foreign country in exile, and some brothers from the homeland come. So he questions them, and they said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province, and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. Flag that in your mind. They're in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. And when I heard these things, I sat down and do what Daniel Grothy does. I wept. <laughs> For some days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. And then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, he's praying here, he's interceding, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, the decrees, and laws that you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, and Nehemiah is saying, we have been. Moses said, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations, but if you return to me, and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there, and I will bring them home to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. And they are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. So Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man, the king. And then Nehemiah says, I was a cupbearer to the king. This is the word of the Lord and all God's people said, thanks be to God, let's pray. Lord, would you take this old text, 2,500 years old, 
Would you take it and would you breathe life? Would you invigorate these words? Would you cause these words to dance tonight off the page? Would you cause these words to stir us to the deepest places? Would you cause these words to be way more than human words? And Lord, I pray that I would get the heck out of the way and that you would speak to your people tonight. I pray that your voice would thunder here like it thundered on our way to church. I pray that you'd rain on us tonight with your word, that you'd renew us tonight with your word. Lord, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, our strength and our redeemer. And I pray these things tonight in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. amen. Why is it that these stories of a long journey or of feeling displaced or of overcoming obstacles or aching for home, why do these stories grab us like they do? Thinking about stories like The Lord of the Rings and Shawshank Redemption, like just aching for, like homeward bound, right? Huh. I'm kidding, you guys. You can laugh. You're like, oh, wow, a very sophisticated literary palette that this pastor has. Uh, you know, these like longing for home, like I've got I, I've to get free from these trappings and, and there's something greater for me and there's, there's a place that is my place longing for home we've got the odyssey by homer and don quixote and their eyes were watching god by zora like these stories that just get in our souls and and make us ache for home and nehemiah is one of these stories the context of this book it was written in 458 bc so 458 years roughly before jesus showed up and was born of the virgin mary and nehemiah is a jew that has never been to Jerusalem. He's never been to the homeland. He was born in exile. 130 years before this, before he's writing, his grandparents and great-grandparents were ripped out of the homeland, out of Jerusalem, and they were taken off to southwest Iran, which is a 1,000 miles away from Jerusalem. So Nehemiah is born in Iran, his parents were taken to Iraq because the Babylonians were there, and then the Babylonians fell, and the Persians rose up in Iran. And so this boy, Nehemiah, grew up hearing stories about Jerusalem, but he's never been there. And his grandparents have been to Iraq, and now he's living in Iran in an evil regime, and he's aching for the homeland that he's never seen. And he's hearing stories about these boys from Jerusalem coming up, and he, he chases them down. He's got to ask what's going on back home in the motherland. Our story goes, the, the Jerusalem boys show up, and Nehemiah scrambles to set up time with them. And what does he do? He starts asking them questions, and they say to him, those who survived the exile and are back in the province of Jerusalem are in great trouble and disgrace and the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and the gates have been burned with fire. He starts first by hearing about the people, specific stories. These people are in great trouble and distress and these people are on the brink and they're anxious and we've talked to them in the streets. The boys from Jerusalem are in southwest Iran in the Persian Empire, a thousand miles away from the homeland and they're giving him specific stories about specific people whose family businesses were, were burned down and whose family lands were stripped from them and the olive trees were cut down and, and the marauding bandits came through and terrorized these people and so the boys from Jerusalem say it's, it's a terrible scene and you ought to see the people 
They're heartbroken. Then they start talking about the nation. The nation is vulnerable and insecure. It's in shambles. The commercial development is at a standstill. There are no grocery stores. There's no infrastructure because when the gates have been burned with fire and the walls have been broken down, like imagine your house being destroyed Imagine, imagine your place, you, you've suffered an earthquake and your place is, just, you know, the walls are broken and the, the foundation is broken and, and the house is destroyed and the furniture, what, you can't live there. You can't do life. You can't flourish. And he's saying this has happened on a national scale. The nation is in crisis. These two pictures I want to show you are of Syria from six or seven years ago when the Assad regime started bombing their own people. The gates are burned with fire and the walls have been broken down. You can't live here. There is, life is not viable, there is no joy. Children can't go to school in a setting like this. Elderly people are on the brink like this. There, it just doesn't work. And the Jerusalem boys said, this is what life is like for us. The gates have been broken down and the walls have been torn asunder and we are vulnerable and there is no economy and there is no relationship and there is no peace. The second picture. Young man running through the streets of Syria for his life. His own jets are flying over, dropping bombs. You know the adrenaline is racing. You know he's hoping to just get to the next place and find the next meal and check on his grandparents and check on his cousins and what's going on and will the cell phones even work? And the gates have been burned and the walls have been torn asunder. Friends, this is what it looks like. And the boys from Jerusalem say those who survived are in great trouble and disgrace. So what does Nehemiah do? It says in the month of Kislev in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah, and, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant, and I questioned them about Jerusalem. Nehemiah slows down to ask questions. Nehemiah takes time. Nehemiah wants the details. Have you ever been with someone when your life is falling apart and the gates have been burned and the walls have been torn asunder and they're quick with you? Or worse, they're disinterested? They don't ask? Like your family has been ravaged and they don't ask. Like everything's falling apart and they, they're talking like it's blessed and highly favored and they're talking about the score of the Rockies game. Who cares? The gates have been burned and the walls have been destroyed. Can we talk about what's going on? And Nehemiah goes, there's only one right thing to do when the gates have been burned and the walls have been broken down and the boys from Jerusalem are here. You, you ask them how it's going. You wanna hear the stories. You weep with them, you cry with them, you ache with them, you talk. What can I do? How can I leverage my strength? What do you need from me? Nehemiah asks questions and he listens and he feels and he aches and he wanted to know the details of what life was like for the people. So I'll just say tonight first, be leery of people who are quick to talk in national abstractions but who are unwilling to know anyone's personal pain. Have you ever heard these people who talk about the nation is going to hell in a handbasket and the nation 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 but they won't help one person. They don't give a dang about entering into someone's pain, but the thing is going to hell in a handbasket. These are people you can't do much with. This bothers me. 
when God has given us strength and God has sent people who don't have strength right to our doorstep and they're sitting right in the row next to us and we're hugging their neck and shaking their hand at the turn for two minutes. Like, this is why I want you to know each other so that if you have strength and they don't, you can join your forces. Be leery of people who want to talk about the 35,000 foot view crisis, but they won't get into the dirt of someone's broken down life. It's a desecration. And Nehemiah knows not to desecrate the story of his people like that. And he knows not to desecrate the humans that are in front of him that have traveled 1,000 miles because they just need a cup of cold water from a friend. Nehemiah slows down and he wanted to hear about their pain, and yes, he also wanted to hear about the nation's destruction. It's not either or, but you start with the personal before you move to the national. He starts with his brothers, his friends. He connects, he weeps, he feels, he emotes, he hugs them, he feeds them, he takes them into the citadel of Susa, and he, and he, he, he creates a banquet table for them, and he just pours some balm on their wounds. And then we can talk about the nation. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept, says Nehemiah. For some days, don't read the Bible fast. For some days, He sat down and he wept and he felt it and he mourned and he fasted and he prayed. He didn't give himself food for some days because he was so heartbroken about what was happening in his friends' lives and in his motherland. When was the last time you took something so seriously that it took you over for some days? The question tonight in this text right here in chapter one is, does your heart break? about the things that breaks God's heart. So I'll say it this, like this tonight, be leery of people who are quick to yell at the darkness, but who are slow to cry. Be leery of people who go to the national abstraction, but they won't enter into someone's personal pain. And be leery of someone who just gets mad without getting sad first, without feeling it, without entering into the pain for some days. And, and anger is an appropriate feeling. Anger is a part of the human experience. But anger can't be our only play. We've got to, we've got to, we've got to mourn. We've got to fast. We've got to pray. We've got to take on someone else's burden. And as Paul says, as we do this, we fulfill the law of Christ. Pastor Brady, when he came here 15 years ago, I... I I didn't know the man and we were a church in crisis. The, the gates had been burned and the wall had been broken down. Like Nehemiah is not theoretical and abstract to me. We've lived that story right here. And Pastor Brady shows up and years later after he became one of my best friends, he, he's, I can say now he's one of my best friends on the planet and I'm so thankful to say that about him. But he started to tell me more of the story. 
He couldn't tell me when we were in the foxhole 15 years ago, but as, as the years went by and God restored peace and the walls were rebuilt and the gates were rehung and there was safety in this place, he started to tell us about the journey. And he said on November 1st, 2006, was, it was the day that new life entered into crisis. We lost our founding senior pastor from a scandal. And he was in Dallas, Texas in South Lake. And he was, he was doing really well. And he was the number two at one of the largest churches in America. And he had the road set out in front of him and success was on the, on the horizon. It was, he, he locked it in. He had locked it in and he had paid his dues. He had done his time. And if anyone could rest on their laurels after a season of paying your dues and doing your time, Brady was beginning to enter into that position where he could settle in and take a deep breath. And he opens up his laptop on November 1st, 2006, and he pulls up a news site and the head story is New Life Church, Colorado Springs. He didn't know a person here. He did not know one human being in Colorado Springs. No one at this church, no connections to our elders, nothing, nothing. He's locked in in South Lake. And he said, when I opened up my computer and I saw that story and I clicked it and I read, he said, I don't know what happened to me, but I started weeping. And he said, I started praying for this church in Colorado Springs, knowing that they're entering into the valley of the shadow of death and all the pain that's on the horizon and all the mistrust that would have to be sorted through and all the financial struggles that would come. He knew what would happen to our church. And at the drop of a hat, with no connection here, something in him broke. The spirit of the Lord moved Brady to emotion and he sat down like Nehemiah and he wept. And he entered into the story of our pain just like Nehemiah did, and it says in verse one, in the month of Kislev in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, now please understand, the, next, uh, the, the, the last verse in the chapter, it says, I was cupbearer to the king. The citadel of Susa is, is the White House of Southwest Iran, and he is in the White House, in the cabinet room, the cupbearer to the king, serving him wine, bringing him meals, and he'd become dear friends with the king of southwest Iran, the dear friend of the king of Persia. Comfort, luxury, ease, all provision, a great paying job, a great pension. He can retire early. He's going to get one of those golden parachutes when he leaves the, the citadel of Susa. It is lined out for Nehemiah in southwest Iran. And in that moment when he heard about Jerusalem, his heart broke and he wanted to burn the whole thing down. The comfort of the citadel of Susa and, and, and the luxury and the life of ease. One man could have settled for a life of ease, but he heard from his brothers what was happening to his entire people group. And God broke his heart and he sat and he wept. Friends, for him to leave the citadel of Susa is for him to, to lay down his life and to throw away his comfort and to throw away his 401k and to walk away from the golden parachute. For Nehemiah to say yes to God's call to go to Jerusalem to rebuild was for him to do it at great personal cost. The question that Nehemiah provokes for us is are you willing to be disturbed out of your comfort to help people whose lives are broken? Are you willing for God to unsettle you, disturb you, to, to ask you to, 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 to take up your cross and deny yourself and to come and follow Jesus into a life of self-sacrificial love? First, his heart is pierced, but then Nehemiah begins to pray. 
He switches over to intercession and to prayer and to fasting and to mourning. And he goes into the presence of God and he opens up his mouth. And what does he pray? How does he pray? I want to put three things in front of you tonight. The first thing that he prays, Nehemiah, he rehearses God's faithfulness. The first move he makes in prayer is he goes into the presence of God and he says, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love. The great and awesome God, the Lord God of heaven, who keeps his covenant of love. What Nehemiah is doing in that moment in 458 BC is he's going, I remember what you did for Abraham and Sarah. Sarah couldn't have a baby and then she did. At 90 years old and at 100 years old for Abraham, you made it work, and I remember what you did for them. And I remember when Moses was at the, he was at the, the mountain and the burning bush, and, and, and God comes to him and says, hey, go, go speak to Pharaoh. And Moses says, I can't talk. And he says, well, I'll give you Aaron, and Aaron's a great orator, and he'll take care of it. And Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh, and they say, let my people go. And somehow, someway, he finally does. And Nehemiah says, I remember they came to the edge of the Red Sea, and it looked like the end because they're not able to crossover and the Egyptians are coming with the dust storm behind them and they think we would have it would have been better for us to die in Egypt and somehow some way Moses stretched out his rod and the waters parted and they walked through on dry ground and then they watched the Egyptians get swept away that day and I remember when Hannah was aching for a baby and she couldn't have one for some decade plus she's been asking God for a baby and then boom little baby Samuel I remember, I remember, Lord God of heaven, you alone are powerful, you alone are faithful, and I remember and I recall to mind what you have done in the past. God, the God who can do something about Jerusalem, whose gates have been burned with fire and whose walls have been torn down. In the place of prayer, he rehearses God's faithfulness. When, you, when, you're, when you're afraid about the future and you don't know where this story is going, look back to what God has done. <laughs> I remember when my parents couldn't pay their mortgage one time when I was, you know, 12 years old. I remember when God helped us get that vehicle that we absolutely needed. And then I remember when. And then I remember when. And then I remember when. When you don't know where the story's going, look back at what God has already done for you and rehearse God's faithfulness. The God of heaven who is all-powerful, who has done things in the past to show his faithfulness. God, I'm reminding you of your faithfulness tonight. That's what Nehemiah does. He rehearses. When he's on the edge of the abyss, he looks back to God's faithfulness. The second thing he does in prayer is Nehemiah repents for their collective unfaithfulness. Remember God's faithfulness, but right here in this moment, that's a past movement, what God has done in the past. But but Nehemiah sort of embodies and steps into and inhabits the present. And what he's naming is their collective unfaithfulness. Nehemiah says, Lord, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant before you this day and night and the people of Israel. And I confess, I confess, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family those sins that we've committed against you. Now, this is strange to me because Nehemiah wasn't even alive when junk went down. 
He wasn't even a gleam in his father's eye. His father wasn't born when junk went down. It was his great-grandparents. It was someone else in the past. It was so, he, he could have displaced, he could have pointed the finger, he could have stepped out of, of the moment, but no, Nehemiah steps into the moment and he says, remember the sins that we've committed against you, myself included and my father's family. Nehemiah takes responsibility. He doesn't assign blame to everyone else for the state that we're in. Nehemiah steps into it and says, me too, I'm, I'm complicit. I have sinned against you. My thoughts have wandered. I have doubted you. I have built altars to other gods in the past. I have tried to take the story into my own hands. Adam and Eve are in me too, says Nehemiah. He repents for their collective unfaithfulness. He remembers God's faithfulness, but he says, Lord, we have sinned against you. We have done what is evil in your eyes. And I'll just say, we've got to slow down tonight because we are so quick to use, ne use Nehemiah's story as a rebuilding story. Woo! Let's rebuild the walls. Let's go for it. Let's bow up and let's get the budgets going and let's get the team rallied and the volunteers and let's, you know, go out and do our, you know, our cool, good charitable work in the, in the city. No, before we can race forward to the rebuilding, what you have to see is that repentance always precedes rebuilding. Repentance always comes first. If you blow by the collective unfaithfulness of, of, of you and your family and your nation, your people group who have walked away from God, and you just race forward to this future, God is going, look, we've got to name what's going on here. We can't go, la, 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 la. And yeah, God's been faithful in the past, and God's going to do it again. No, God says, I want to bring you into a moment where we can talk about it. Relationships break down when you don't talk about the stuff. When you ignore the past and you race forward to a future as if nothing has happened, there will be no rebuilding without repentance. And so Nehemiah, in this moment, he says, God, you've got to have mercy on us. Please, 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 I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for the times where I have walked away from you and you've been nothing but good and I've been nothing but bad in large seasons of my life and I've, I've been the ungrateful child, you know, lifting the middle finger to the parent who's done everything to take care of me, and here I am wanting my inheritance so I can go into the far country. No, God, I am sorry. There is no rebuilding without repentance first. Nehemiah tells us that it's time to, to name where we've come from, to name our unfaithfulness, and God is the God who will never turn away the humble. When you come, we don't, here's why I think we don't repent. We don't repent because we think we're going to get a lecture. Yeah, you stupid, dummy, idiot face. You dumb child who just, all you ever do, ungrateful. You we think that we're going to get the lecture. And so we just go, ah, thank you, God, for what you did for them and, and rebuild the wall. But what happens when we come into this moment? I, God goes, I love you. Welcome home, son. Welcome home, daughter. Thanks for taking the moment to name it. Thanks for being courageous to look the thing in the eye. And I will never turn. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Come on home, baby. God is the God who's, who's good enough to write a story like the prodigal son's story. God's the God who's got a fattened calf in the stalls for when the son or the daughter comes home. God is the God who leaves the porch and races after the child looking from a long way off. And he puts sandals on their feet and a ring on their finger and a robe on their back. And he kisses you on the cheek and goes, welcome home. You I love you, you little punk. I love you. 
get on in here. And, and my son who was dead is now alive. My son who was lost has now been found. Let's party. Repentance precedes rebuilding. And God is a God that you can trust with your humility. God is a God that you can trust with your repentance. God is a God that you can trust with your honesty. He will not make you feel like an idiot. He'll make you feel like a child. Repentance always precedes rebuilding. The third thing that he says in prayer, Nehemiah in prayer, he renews the covenant. He remembers God's past faithfulness and he names his present and their collective unfaithfulness, but then he pivots toward the future. So we've got past faithfulness, we've got present repentance, but he looks toward the future, the God who renews covenant. And he says, remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses? God, remember, you talked to Moses, and here's what you said to him. If you are unfaithful, Moses, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me, and if you obey my commandments, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there, and I will bring them to this place that I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. And he says, God, we are ready. He renews the covenant. I remember what you told Moses, and I'm going to take you at your word. I'm going to take the risk. I'm going to trust that you actually meant that. And God, we have been scattered to the farthest horizon, and our gates have been burned with fire, and our walls have been torn down, and there is no commercial business going on. There is, there is no life among the people, the school systems, and the infrastructure. It's all broken down. But Lord, here I am, and I repent, and I recall to your mind what you told Moses, that if we repent, you'll bring us from the farthest reaches of the earth, and you will bring us from the scattered exile back home and you'll settle us in the land flowing with milk and honey. You're just that good. You're the God who loves to feed us. You're the God who loves to heal us. You're the God who loves to bless us. You're the God who loves to forgive us. You are the God and I'm going to take the risk right now to renew the covenant. It's scary as hell, but I'm going to renew the covenant and trust that it's going to be a good thing. And God who was faithful in the past and God who responds to our humility in the present is the God who re-ups the covenant for the future. And I'll say to you tonight, exile does not have to be your future. God is the God who brings the scattered exiles home. God is the God who forgives. God is the God who moves on with joy. God is the God who restores us to our citizenship. God is the God who gives us our inheritance back. God is the God who feeds us in the land flowing with milk and honey, and he wants nothing more. You don't have to twist his arm to love you. God just has to get it into our heads that he actually does love us so that we can take the risk of covenant. Tonight, friends, we look at Nehemiah and who looks at God's faithfulness in the past, and we look at Nehemiah, who names the current unfaithfulness and repents, and we look at Nehemiah, who re-engages the covenant, and tonight I'm just here to tell you that exile doesn't have to be the end of your story. Come on home tonight. Repent tonight. Respond to God tonight. Some of you need to learn to weep again tonight. Some of you need to stop yelling about the national crisis for just a minute, and there is one. I'm not brushing that under the rug. There is one. We are living in the middle of just, just total desecration. So can we just name that? But can I ask you to pause for a minute and just begin to look around for the maybe one person who's living in pain, who's, who's, whose gates have been burned with fire, and whose walls have been broken down, and if you have some strength, would you just give them the strength tonight? Would you just be nice? 
Would you just be compassionate? Would you just enter into the suffering? Let God sort out the national stuff and we'll get to that, but first we've got to start with the personal pain and we've got to learn to sit for some days and weep again and to feel again and to have God's compassion move our hearts again. Friends, tonight, let's remember God's faithfulness in the past. Let's repent for the current unfaithfulness that we ourselves are implicated in. And let's take the risk of renewing covenant for the future tonight. How can we do this? We can do this because Jesus. Because Jesus is the greater Nehemiah, and I'm coming to a close. Jesus is the greater Nehemiah. He was not locked up in the citadel of Susa like Nehemiah was. He was in the celestial palace of heaven. Talk about leaving your own luxury and your own comfort and your own life that's working. Nehemiah walked away from southwest Iran. Jesus walked away from heaven. He left the right hand of his father crowned in glory and majesty and strength with angels and elders and the four living creatures and thousands upon ten thousands gathered around the throne crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And Jesus descends from his rightful place of majesty, leaving the citadels to be wounded for our transgressions, to be pierced for our diseases. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds, says Isaiah, we were healed. And Paul takes this theme up, and he says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor. For some three days he sat and wept in the belly of hell. He wept on the cross. He wept when they gouged his side. He wept when 39 stripes were applied to his back. He he wept when they jammed that crown of thorns into his skull and he, he bled out. Though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor. So that you through his poverty might become rich. Jesus came low so that we could be Jesus left luxury so that we could have a family. Jesus left the throne of God's glory so that we could be grafted into the story of the kingdom. Friends, we can live this way because Jesus lived this way. And when we live this way, when we enter into the pain of the world, when we're willing to step into other people's suffering, don't look now, but the kingdom of God comes. And the will of God is done on the earth as it is in heaven. Can you say amen tonight, church? Stand with me, church. What I want us to do in this moment is to practice repentance, to practice humility, to practice vulnerability in God's presence. What I want us to do now is to shift from a society that is drunk on pointing the finger at everyone else and begin to just go, it's me. I'll take it. I'm sorry. I could do better. I could lay down my life again. I could turn the other cheek. I could bless those that curse me. I could go the extra mile. Have mercy on me, oh God. I repent for not having done that right every time. So tonight what we're going to do is we're going to repent together. And what I'm trusting is that as the people of God begin to practice this way of being, that the world around us will be infected by it. 
Repentance is sort of a communicable disease. (laughs) When we live holy and tender and with humility, the world starts to go, there's something different about these people. I've got to know how these people can be like this. Friends, it starts with us, with the church of Jesus Christ saying, have mercy on me, O God. So these words are going to come up on the screen. I'm going to ask you to pray by faith. I'm going to ask you to join. I'm going to ask you to be like Nehemiah tonight and sort of enter the pain and sit down in it for just a little bit and let God move your heart afresh. Would you join me in praying this prayer by saying, most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought and word and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. And the gospel proclamation to you tonight is that if we will confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is not here to wag the finger at you tonight. God is here saying, welcome home, kill the fattened calf, let's have a party. That's who he is. And as we come to the table of the Lord, I want you to get your communion elements because this is God killing the fattened calf and throwing a party for us. This is God welcoming us home. This is God strengthening us. Linda, could I have some communion, please? Thank you. If you need elements, would you raise your hands and our team's gonna come quickly to you across the room. I'm gonna wait for just a a minute here while everyone gets their communion. You can open it up and get ready. But I want you to see this as a, a welcoming home tonight. I want you to see this as divine hospitality. I want you to see this as the God who's willing to go first and to enter into our pain. The God who becomes poor so that we can become rich. This is what's happening tonight. So on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he broke it. Would you break that little wafer? And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. And as often as you do this, Be like Nehemiah. Sit and weep, enter into it, fast and mourn and pray and repent. Be like Jesus who enters into it with all of himself. This is my body broken for you. As often as you do this, remember me and go and do likewise. So tonight, church, Jesus is here to strengthen you and he's here to call you to live this kind of broken life for the world. So Lord, make us the people that are willing to leave the citadels that you've given us and to go back into the pain of Jerusalem to rebuild the thing. You may receive the bread tonight, church. On the same night, Jesus took the cup of wine. He said, this cup is the new covenant given in my blood and it's given for the remission of your sins. God is forgives you. Hear that tonight. God forgives you. He's not mad. Can we just 
once and for all see God smiling right here at the table. I forgive you. Your sins are forgiven. This cup is the new covenant given in my blood, given so that all that junk is washed away. And he says, every time you do this, remember. Remember me. And so saints tonight, you're clean. You're washed. You're forgiven. Repentance works. (laughs) Jesus is for you. You may receive the cup. We're about to sing a really familiar song, Waymaker, right? We're gonna get to the bridge and we're gonna sing, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. So if you're living in a Jerusalem burned down, the walls destroyed, the gates burned, all of that, if your life looks like that right now, I want you to sing that bridge with all of your soul. I want you to sing it from your toes. I want you to erupt tonight by faith. So let's sing to the way maker who's gonna make a way for us.
working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. Never stop, you never stop working. right now I want to pray before I pray the benediction I want to pray for courage for those of you who feel on the brink for those of you who feel abandoned for those of you who feel threatened for those of you who feel like there's an existential crisis brewing in your life right now Lord restore courage tonight restore courage tonight give us the boldness that Nehemiah had to get up and to leave and to go rebuild Give us boldness and courage. Give us strength tonight, Lord. Give us gritty resolve. Give us faith. Help us to set our face like flint. Lord, you need to do this in us. We don't just like pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. You have to do it by your spirit. So Lord, for those who are weak tonight, we pray that the weak would be made strong. We pray that the fearful would be made strong in faith. We pray, Lord, for those who are confused, that they sense the peace of God. For those who are financially on the brink, Lord, we pray, open the windows of heaven and pour out blessing on them financially that they will lack nothing in Jesus' name. The God who supplies all of our needs, do it for your people tonight. So, Lord, I pray that faith would rise tonight. Faith would rise tonight. Faith would rise tonight that we'd leave here different because of the spirit of the Lord. And so, Lord, I pray for my friends tonight. That you'd bless them and keep them. That you'd make your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them. 
Lord, that you'd lift your bright, smiling countenance upon everyone here at New Life Church. And would you grant them peace, we pray, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said. Amen. Can we give God thanks for a great night here in his presence? Can we thank our worship team for leading us? Seth, we love you. Two things. I want to invite our prayer team down. If you need someone to agree with you uh, further about, uh, about certain issues you're in, we'd love to pray with you, speak life over you. If you're new, come see us at Guest Central in the back of the room. We've got a gift for you. So go from here tonight in God's grace and peace. So much love.